Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Thanksgiving Sunday, October 12, 2014. Today's message is titled, From Thanksgiving to Praise, by Dr. Lyle Schrag, and is based on scripture, Psalm 65. Would you join your hearts together with me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we read in the scriptures, uh, we, are, we are invited, commanded, told that in everything we are to give thanks. And yet, Lord, on this Sunday, this Thanksgiving Sunday, we confess to you that those words come as a gentle rebuke. Gentle, yes and gentle enough that we'll, we'll receive a, a feast along the way, but a rebuke nonetheless, for we confess freely that in so many ways our hearts are other than thankful. We, we take things for granted. We expect more. We, we are not thankful for what we do receive. And Lord, without that special spirit of soul, your spirit which moves through our lives and gives us that sensitivity to detect the wonder of your love and the greatness of your care. Lord, without that, we would be left in our sin. And yet, Lord, you, you gently move in our hearts. And, and for that, we are so grateful, and you gently care for us. And for that, Lord, we are eternally grateful. And for all these things, I pray that you would give us a voice to praise your name and thank you for all the wonder of your love. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Before I begin this morning, let me just uh, make a request of you. I've been here now for almost eight, nine months together with you, so I feel like I've kind of earned the right to be able to request a personal prayer request. Uh, this week, I, uh, several weeks ago, I was invited to uh, travel to Myanmar to teach in a seminary in Rangoon or Yangon and uh, Mandalay. And so I'll be leaving this week and for three weeks we'll be uh, in Southeast Asia. And I would appreciate your prayer for safety in the journey, for sensitivity of spirit, and just for just a, a, a gracious openness and fellowship as, uh, as I travel and as I have an opportunity to be able to share in that place. But this is Thanksgiving weekend, and throughout Canada, people are preparing themselves to pause for a moment to give thanks. Even in America, I will be celebrating Thanksgiving with my kids today. And there are people that are, are preparing their homes, some to give thanks, some giving thanks for food, some for family, some for freedom, some for hockey, some for football, whatever the case may be. Uh, we will give thanks for many things. But this morning, I've got to ask the question, who do we give thanks to? In his article, Assurances of the Heart, Cornelius Plantiga raises the point. He said, it must be an odd feeling to be thankful to nobody in particular. Christians in public institutions often see this odd thing happening on Thanksgiving Day. Everyone in the institution seems to be thankful in general. And yet it is so strange, a little like being married 
in general. There must be someone else for which you are to be giving thanks. For thanks to be thanks, for it to have any meaning at all, it has to have a direction. It's not a matter of what it's for, but ultimately it is where it's to. It's a matter of a, of a focus and a recognition. Now, as we turn to the scriptures, we find all sorts of models of thanksgiving for many things in general, but all directed to one source. When God's people give thanks, it is consistently directed toward God. And you find that in private expressions that serve as a model for us to find our voice. You will find that in the public festivals of thanksgiving, where the heart of God's people is tuned to a single note of thanksgiving and praise. This is found nowhere more than in the book of Psalms, the original hymn book of the people of God. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, we find that there is a calendar that is set up of events and celebrations to mark the year and, and to do it as a discipline of spiritual, spiritual growth. And, and you had the Sabbath each week, and then you had annual events like the Passover and the, the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And at the end of the chapter in, in Leviticus chapter 23, you have the Feast of Tabernacles, a festival of thanksgiving that came at the end of the rainy season when all of Israel came to Jerusalem to fulfill and renew their vows and, and their praise to God. And the gift of rain was as much a gift of prosperity and a reason to give thanks to God. There are a number of psalms associated with this festival, including the psalm that I'd like you to look at with me this morning, Psalm 65. If you have your Bibles, turn there together with me. We're taking a little bit of a break from the Ten Commandments here with this. Now, one of the first things you'll notice with the psalm, uh, what I have on your outline as the setting of the psalm, is that it was a time of celebration that belonged to all of God's people. You see that in verse 1. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you, our vows, plural voice, our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. The voice of those first two verses that set the voice for the entire psalm is plural. It is all of God's people gathered together. The place, well, the place is Zion, the hill in Jerusalem where all of God's people gather together. And the expectation, well, the expectation is, is a prayer that belongs to everyone who comes to God. Here is where you and I learn what it means to give thanks. Now, when you look at the Psalms, you'll find this Psalm, you will find that it's divided into three parts. And it's really only in the third part that you actually find the reason for thanksgiving. And there you find that God is so good. And so I'm going to actually start with the end of the story, the third part of the Psalm. So listen to it as it reads in verse 9 through 11. You care for the land and the water and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and you level its ridges. You soften it with showers and you bless its crops. The cr you crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills of the are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. 
The Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes it best when he says, the cli- the, this, the climax of the psalm, is, is a, a stanza as fresh and as irrepressible as the fertility it describes. It puts every harvest hymn to shame as something that is plotting and contrived. Here we almost feel the splash of showers, and we sense the, the springing of the growth around us. The whole psalm seems to pulsate with this life, whether it is sung in the temple courts or in the vast dominion of earth among the hills and the valleys where his very passing awakens life. This is such a fertile psalm. Isn't that great? Just pause for a moment and look around and realize that God is so good, that there is an abundance of life around us that has has responded to his presence and the touch of his hand. Too often we take that for granted, his blessing, and everything touched by God that brings his blessing our way. From the clouds to the rain to the fields to the grain to our table, a whole stream of God's goodness has been flowing and and, and rebounding and, 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 and coming our way. And for all these things and more, we give thanks. <clears throat> I love the story that is told by Joel Gregory. One Thanksgiving season, our family was seated around their table uh, looking at the annual holiday bird. From the oldest to the youngest, we were to express our thanksgiving and praise. When we came to the five-year-old in our family, he began by looking at the turkey and expressing his thanks to the turkey, saying, although he had not tasted it, uh, he knew it would be good. After that rather novel expression of thanksgiving, he began with a more predictable line of credits, thanking his mother for cooking the turkey and his father for buying the turkey. But then he went beyond that. He joined together with a whole hidden multitude of benefactors, linking them with the cause and effect coming to his table. He said, I thank you for the checker at the grocery store who checked out this turkey. I thank you for the grocery store people who put this turkey on the shelf. I thank you for the farmer who made it fat. I thank you for the man who made the feed. I thank you for those who brought the turkey to the store. And using this Columbo-like uh, little mind, he then traced the turkey all the way back from its origins to his plate. And then at the end, he solemnly said, did I leave anybody out? His two-year-old brother, embarrassed by all the proceedings, said, God. Solemnly and without being flustered at all, the five-year-old said, I was just about to get to him. We are surrounded by things for which we give thanks. But like Psalm 65, that's the end of the story. It begins, however, with the focus. It begins with God. And thanksgiving begins as it is given to the proper focus, God himself. I like the way Psalms begins. He says, praise awaits you. O God in Zion, to you our vows will be fulfilled. Would it surprise you to know that there is a bit of debate among scholars about this psalm? Some say that it is a psalm of praise, not thanksgiving. To be honest, I, I really can't see how you can have one without the other, especially if you get them in the right order. And here is where the lesson lies in thanksgiving. In verses 1 through 8, 
what we have is as much a lesson in theology as it is an expression of personal experience. In these first eight verses, David exposes the greatness of God, and he does it in two ways. The first, in verse 2 through 4, God is our great Redeemer, able to forgive us all of our sins. Listen to the words, O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. It almost sounds very much like the words of Jesus. If I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is something about that yearning within the human heart that says, I am overwhelmed by my sin and I have no other place to go in order to receive forgiveness and to be cleansed. And we read right here, Oh, you, you who hear prayer to you, all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Anyone who has chosen to look at sin seriously knows what it is like to be overwhelmed. It is like being buried under a mountain of shame and guilt, leaving you somehow pinned and helpless to escape. You do need someone greater, someone larger, someone bigger than the mountain that is upon you to come to your rescue. God is your great Redeemer. And he has made the choice to forgive your sins. And he did it out of love for you. And, 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 and to bring you home into his house to stay to live and to have life. God is great, a great redeemer. And, and, and God is great. The second reason, he is the great creator. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> you answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and all the farthest seas, who you are the one who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. You stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. This is a vision of God that goes far beyond the narrow circle of our life. It goes back as far as the formation of the world. And it stands as high as the ceiling of the heavens. And there are some of you who, like me, may have been raised in a Christian tradition where in junior high I had to attend confirmation classes and learn theology by memorizing a catechism, a list of, of, of truths and a catalog of explanations about God drawn from the Apostles' Creed. And the catechism that I had to memorize was written by Martin Luther. And at the very, the very first thing I had to memorize came from the first sentence of that creed. The first article of creation, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean, Luther asks. And I had to memorize what that meant, and I found it to be true. The answer, I believe that God created me and all that exists. 
that he has given me and still preserves to me my body and my soul, my eyes and my ears and all my members, my reason and all the power of my soul together with food and raiment and home and family and all my property and that he daily provides abundantly for all the needs of my life. And he protects me from all danger and he guards and keeps me from all evil and that he does this purely out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all which I am in duty bound to thank and praise and serve and obey him, this is most certainly true. I memorized that. But I've discovered it to be certainly true. And I love the way Martin Luther writes the last line. If I know these things about God, if I accept these things to be true, if I believe that God is my Redeemer, able to forgive my sins, and my Creator, the one able to provide me with divine goodness and mercy, then I am, and so are you, duty-bound to thank Him and praise Him and serve Him and obey Him forevermore. And here the psalm then ties it together. Thanksgiving and praise. They are not isolated in themselves. They are tied together in our heart. As it says in verse 1, praise awaits one who has made a vow. And I would suggest that it is a vow to be thankful simply because God is God and he can be trusted. I cannot help but think that we make a mistake when we wait to give thanks until we finally have something to be thankful for. We wait for Thanksgiving. Here, Thanksgiving awaits God because it is already part of my vow. The fact is our thanks to God goes to God and that is where we begin. When we choose to trust God, we have made a choice to live with that spirit of thanksgiving. As I, as I prayed to begin this sermon, in everything, we read that in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 5.21, uh, uh, in everything give thanks, and in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. When such a spirit exists, then I guess it's no surprise that praise so easily erupts from my heart. Because I have expected, and I have received, and I can praise. And maybe that will make a difference out of this thanksgiving for myself and maybe for you. It, it, it's not just a time to look back to, in order to find something to say. It's time to look up and find someone to trust. Thanksgiving becomes a vow to accept the life God has given us. Thanksgiving. In an earlier age, the, 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 the preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, spoke of the spirit of thanksgiving. And I love the picture that he paints with words, so listen to it carefully. If anyone should give me a dish of sand and tell me that there were particles of iron in it. I might look for them with my eyes, and I might search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect those particles of iron. But let me take a magnet and sweep it through the sand, and now it would draw unto itself an almost 
the almost invisible particles by the mere power of attraction. The unthankful heart, like my fingers in the sand, discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart, like uh, but let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessing. Only the iron in God's sand is not iron, it is gold. Let the thankful heart sweep through this place right now. Let your thankful heart, that which belongs already now and has been vowed to, to God himself, and by the power of his spirit, sweep through your heart right now. And as it sweeps, it shall find gold. Invisible to the human eye, but evident from the hand of God. God's care is eternal. And our thanks reaches out into the past, into the sands of time, into the present, into the sands of time, and into the future, through the sands of time. And in every case finds reason to be thankful and to give praise. So would you pray together with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, in our songs we have have declared, Lord, that you are good, that you are great. And in our songs that we sing them, we are yours. That case is settled, Lord. But that being settled, Lord, I pray that in this season and in this moment and in this time and in this place, our hearts might be true to the lips of our, or to the words of our mouth. That our hearts might be open to the scouring of your spirit, that like a magnet you might move through our lives and awaken us, Lord, to your constant presence and your everlasting love. And to the abundance of your grace that has surrounded our lives as we look to the past, Lord, to the ways in which you have created us and sustained us. And to the present, Lord, to how you have blessed us. And to the future, how you shall receive us. Give us that vision, I pray, Heavenly Father, that is consistent with the love you've had for us from the very beginning through Jesus Christ. We are drawn to you. And to you, Lord, we lift our hearts, even as we lift our eyes and we say, thank you. We praise your name. And we do so in an intimate sort of way, for as we praise your name, we do so in that powerful name, in the name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.